Welcome to What She Said on 105.9 The Region. I'm your host, Candace Sampson. Well, we finally made it to May, and with the trees budding and the flowers starting to come out, it's hard not to be filled with a sense of hope, especially because our coronavirus numbers continue to decline, showing that what we're doing is working. We're still a few weeks away from things slowly starting to open up, though, so kick up your feet and join me for the next hour as I interview some amazing Canadian women like Renee Common Levy, who can teach us all a thing or two about resiliency. Renee is not only living through this pandemic like the rest of us, but she is also living with a terminal cancer diagnosis and thriving with her family under both circumstances. With more time on our hands than ever, reading has become a passionate pursuit for many women. I interview Oakville author Karma Brown about her latest number one bestseller, Recipe for a Perfect Wife, and about her new book coming out this December, The 4% Fix. We've all seen the images of crystal clear lagoons in Venice and satellite shots of clear skies above major cities around the globe, but is this pandemic really cleaning up the earth? I speak with environmental advocate Dr. Anastasia Littner about what's good and not so good for the environment right now. And Brody is bringing us an interview this week with Rafe Spall and Esther Smith from the new Apple TV Plus show, Trying, as well as some more can't-miss documentaries and shows available on streaming services this week. Many of us dream of upending our lives and changing it all, but few ever really do it. I talked to Teresa Albert, formerly of the Food Network, who left the big city and a big career to pursue her passion in Stratford, Ontario, as the owner of the Rosehurst Stratford Bread and Breakfast. And finally, Julie Elson height aka Sober Julie, is joining me to share how addicts and those recently recovered from addiction can find support during the COVID-19 crisis. Welcome to the show. Let's get started. I just spoke to a Meridian advisor about variable versus fixed rate mortgages, and they told me that... Variable rates change based on Meridian's prime rate. Exactly. And that... You could pay your mortgage down faster if Meridian's prime rate goes down. How did you know? I spoke with an advisor, too. So, let's get a... a Meridian 5-year variable rate mortgage at 2.90%. Totally. Apply today at meridianmortgages.ca or visit a Meridian branch. Rates subject to change without notice. Some restrictions apply. 2.90% APR assumes the typical example of a new mortgage. Look at them together, then we'll take them apart. Adding up the total of all of that's true. Multiply life by the power of two. It's easy to think since the onset of this coronavirus that the rest of the world has fallen away and nothing else is happening. But people are still dealing with big issues like cancer. Renee Common is a married mom of two. She was diagnosed with early stage breast cancer in March of 2015 and learned it spread and was terminal in 2017. In the face of this diagnosis, Renee is thriving and is here today to share some of the wisdom that she's learned and acquired on this journey. Welcome to the show, Renee. Thank you so much for having me. 
I am so glad you're joining me today because I feel that you can offer uh, people some really great insight into dealing with adversity, um, you know, uh, in this, in this, what is essentially a crisis. And I read something the other day, uh, you know, people say we're not in the same boat, we're in the same storm, right? but we're not in the same boat. I really love that uh, because some of us are, this is not, you know, the worst thing that could happen. And for others, it is bad. So you are dealing with literally worst case scenario. Yeah. And it's, I've also been saying to everyone is now everyone feels, can understand how I feel on a daily basis because, you know, before we see friends, I always have to ask, is anyone sick? Does anyone have a cold? Does anyone have a fever? Okay. If you have, if anyone is sick or was recently sick, sorry, our plans have to be canceled. Right. So I'm used to kind of doing that. I've, uh, I'm used to wearing a mask if I need to. And I'm used to staying home if I don't feel good or if I just need like an afternoon of rest. Right. So, can- so cancer didn't go away because of this no. for you. you. You still have to deal with the realities of this every day. No. Speaking of which, um, tell me a little bit about what it's like at a hospital right now for cancer. It's really eerie. So I had to go the beginning of April um, for a CT scan. And when I walked in, so they blocked off all the doors and just have two revolving doors that are open. So one way in, one way out. Um, And when you walk in, there's like people in hazmat suits. No one will talk to you until you Purell your hands, which is like so wacky. Um, But I came prepared with gloves and a mask and I Pureled my hands and then they ask you why you are here. And then they ushered me in to talk to one person who was literally sitting in like one of those boxes with the, um, the plexiglass, like they were sitting in a plexiglass box. Everyone was in hazmat suits and you, I needed to get a sticker saying that I like, you know, didn't have a fever. I wasn't traveling and that I was able to be in the hospital. And then when I went up to the CT scan waiting room, which is usually packed with people, I was the only person there. And that was the first time since March 13th or March 12th, really, that I had seen someone else other than my family. And usually, like, I'm not, you know, I'm neutral to these people working at the hospital. And I, you know, just kept thanking them for doing what they're doing and being at work so that I could still get my scans. And then it was just so nice to see another face and talk in close proximity to someone. I love that you said that, by the way, that you're, you know, you, in the past you were neutral to these people. It's funny how our appreciation, people who are doing amazing things every single day outside of this pandemic, you know, they are amazing every day, our frontline workers. And so, you know, it's, it's um, I appreciate that you said that because it's important to know that they are still there. Yeah, dealing with these very real issues with people and they're having to do it under crazy circumstances. And I can't imagine the stress that they must feel coming into work that I think it's just really important for everyone to acknowledge the hard work they're doing um, in order for me to be able to go and get my scans, which was something three months ago that was just, I walked in and I did what I needed to do and I didn't think twice about it. So in the face of this, I think that you can offer uh, a lot of us some, some lessons in resiliency. And, and so what are, you know, maybe a few key things you learned uh, through your journey with, with cancer that could help people right now who are dealing with um, coping with this. 
Sure. So I look, I guess, at life now as that we can't control, and this is for everyone in any situation, not just with cancer, um, that we can't control things that happen to us, but everyone has a choice in how they respond. You know, when I was diagnosed with terminal cancer, I could have just lied on my couch and cried for months, but I didn't because to me that was wasting away time that I was given. I don't know. No, look, at the end of the day, no one knows how much time anyone has. Someone could have a heart attack. Someone could pass away in their sleep. No one knows. So I think it's that much more important for everyone to really, look, you're going to have a bad day. Everyone's going to have a bad day. I'm not perfect, but we want to make the best of the time that we have. And that's really what has been overriding my life for these two and a half years. So you make a conscious decision every day. You know, we were talking earlier about, you know, one of your, one of the aha moments for you was why am I uh, wishing the week to get to Friday? Yeah. Why not just enjoy Monday? Yeah. And so like I'd said, I love the musical Rent. I was a rent head from the time I was 16 years old. I followed it all over North America. I recently got the tattoo with a friend that says no day but today. And I think it's really important for everyone just to focus on today. And even when I was going through chemo and through radiation, I really focused on let me focus on today because if I was in chemo focusing on the fact that I was having a double mastectomy in four months, how would I function? I wouldn't be able to function because I would be so concerned with what's going to happen four months from now. But why? Let me just enjoy today. Mm-hmm. And that's going to obviously look very different for everyone. Um, and especially during this pandemic, we can't really leave our houses. But there's lots of wonderful things that we can do like find a new hobby. Maybe it's reading the books that you've always wanted to read. Um, Buying some fun arts and crafts off of Amazon. (laughs) And I think, you know, I think as well, it's, it's giving ourselves some forgiveness. Yeah. Because there's also this sort of pressure, you know, I've, I've heard it termed productivity porn, like that you have to, uh, you know, pick up a new skill. You can give yourself a little forgiveness if you don't as well a hundred look like i've been binge watching shows on netflix and now my worry is that they can't come out with new shows what am i gonna do (laughs) you've actually got to the end of netflix (laughs) i feel like what like my husband and i just i never got into Grey's anatomy and we chose it because there's 15 seasons yeah it could take us through this entire pandemic do you chronicle this journey on your on your blog Yeah, so I do on my blog and also on Instagram. I just find it's easier to throw up a picture with a blurb. Um, So I chronicle it there in a way that, and I've written this many times, it's to inspire everyone, but ultimately it's a love letter to my kids. I love that. So that they're one day going to have a whole compilation of posts and pictures and in between, I hope that it inspires, obviously, everyone, all of my followers who are reading it, but ultimately, it's for them. Well, I know that you've inspired me. Um, I am you. incredibly honored that you joined me today. Uh, so just for people listening, uh, your blog name again? Is mysocalledmommylife.com. 
And you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at at MSC Mommy Life and on Facebook at uh, My So-Called Mommy Life. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining me today, Renee. Thank you. Adding up the total of a love that's true. Multiply life by the power of two. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Smash Kitchen in Markham continues to make the great food that you love. Your faves are available for takeout or through your favorite delivery service. Not only that, but they've lowered prices and offered a 15% discount on all orders in response to these extraordinary times. Visit SmashKitchen.com to find out more. 105.9 The Region. COVID-19 has changed all our lives. The how and where we work and shop and learn. The information is constant and evolving and physical distancing is the new normal. As we continue to adjust, it can be overwhelming and difficult to know where to find the information you need about your city, your town, your neighborhood. That's where we come in with the stories that matter to you and your family from across York Region. We are 105.9 The Region. 105.9 The Region. Everywhere you are. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. And I'm so sick of them coming at me again. Because if I was a man, Karma Brown is an award-winning journalist and best-selling author of five novels, including her latest, Recipe for a Perfect Wife, which was a national number one bestseller. Karma lives in Oakville with her family and is currently working on her first nonfiction book, The 4% Fix, How One Hour Can Change Your Life, which will be out this December 2020. Welcome to the show, Karma. Thank you so much for having me. So I feel people are at home right now with more time to read than ever. Yes. And um, I am currently uh, actually not reading your book. I'm actually listening uh, to your book on Audible. And I am loving uh, Recipe for a Perfect Wife. So I really wanted to talk to you about sort of your inspiration for that book. Um, and, and it reminded me of something my mother always says. The more things change, the more they stay the same. <laughs> yeah, that is a perfect uh, way to describe sort of how I was feeling when I was writing this book. Yeah. Right. So what inspired that then? Well, I mean, initially, I have all these old cookbooks, these vintage cookbooks, some of which have been passed down through my family and other ones that I've picked up at, at used bookstores. And I just, I love cookbooks. And in particular, I love these old books that have the notations that people will write in the margins, you know, when they've had a special meal for a birthday and they say, excellent, and on this date, and all the spills that are through the pages. So initially, I was inspired by this idea of this vintage cookbook and this 1950s woman who was this was a gift you know given to her when she got married and she would cook for her husband out of this book and she seemed the very quintessential housewife to me on the on the surface when I first met her in my brain um, as this 1950s housewife but then I started wondering about what her life looked like underneath the surface of that and that were women really as happy as they're made out to look on in these magazine ads and in some of these shows that we've watched about that era in particular, what was happening for them and how were they, um, you know, what was important to them outside of just this role of being the housewife, you know, and I, that was what inspired me for the 1950s part. And then I started thinking, well, how far have we come 
from the way that women were in the 50s, from this idea that women are in the house, they raise the children, they keep the house clean, they make sure dinner's on the table for their husband. Outside of that, their aspirations can be Tupperware parties and knitting circles and church groups, and that's it, right? So we've come far in some ways because women now have an opportunity to do so much more than they did, but at the same time, perhaps we've not come as far as we think. And how are women still not equal, you know, in so many ways? So by doing a dual narrative with this book, it gave me the opportunity to explore marriage in both those scenarios and in those times. Yeah, you know, and it's funny, you know, we tend to glamorize the 1950s as this golden age. And really for women, it was, it was really quite oppressive. However, you know, again, by looking at two timelines, you know, it's still fairly oppressive. I mean, sure, we've been freed up to work outside the home, but we've probably quadrupled our workload with a lot, for a lot of women who are doing it all at home still. Yes, and that actually studies, that's exactly what it shows. When you take couples where both people work outside of the home, equal number of hours, full time, inside the home, the women are still doing a substantially bigger amount of work when it comes to the domestic stuff, the emotional labor, childcare, meal prep, women are still doing more than men, even when they work the same hours. And, you know, the 50s, like before that, the women had been in all of these different jobs because the men had gone to war and women were required to come out of the kitchen to be able to then take over the jobs that the men had left when they went to war. Then the men came back and the women suddenly went back into the kitchen where they stayed for a, a good 20 years until we hit that second wave of feminism in the 70s and things started to shift. But like you said, with the present day, you know, we are allowed to, allowed, but you know, we can work outside of the home now, we can have aspirations for ourselves, but ultimately there is still this sense that women need to be the caretakers of the children and be home. And yeah, maybe you can have it all, um, maybe that's okay for women to try to have families and careers, um, but I don't know anybody who can do it successfully all at once, right? It's just too much. So I, it, I really did have to think a lot about my own marriage and um, I, have an, I have an 11-year-old daughter, you know, what I'm modeling for her because we do have a more traditional setup where I work from home, so I'm the one who's often doing those domestic tasks, even though I'm working full time. So it was a really interesting, for me personally, but also to explore the differences and the similarities, you know, even though they're 60 years apart. And, you know, it's funny, you know, reading that, um, there was the language that you used in that, you know, there was, there was a part there, you know, he says to her, well, I'll, I'll take care of you. And, and we sort of you know, fall into that, like that's, that, you know, yes, great. My knight in shining armor is here to take care of me. And, you know, it just opens up these questions about how much of that is, is learned that we, you know, how much of that is evolutionary. Mm -hmm. uh, all of these questions start to play into this book. I thought it's just, it's, so far, like, I'm just, I haven't finished it. I'm just, I think it's brilliant. And as I said to you, that you do have this one chapter in there, there, uh, between two of the characters, uh, Nellie and Richard, that really just gave me chills because you sort of set the tone for this underlying um, tension, I yeah. guess, in this in this relationship. So um, 
did you do a lot of research into how a relationship like that would work? Um, I did. And I did a lot of research into relationships in, in the 50s and looking at the dynamics between the husbands and wives and what was expected. Um, I also just, you know, I think when I'm writing, I, I, have a, I have a marriage where I have a lot of, I have a very supportive partner. And so, you know, I am not like Nellie and Richard um, in that 1950s relationship where she's had, there are expectations of her and he's very controlling and manipulative, especially behind closed doors. Um, so, but I, I have this tendency to just try to imagine, you know, I put myself in that character and I try to picture these scenes and imagine if I want her to feel just that thumb of his just setting, sitting on her shoulder, you know, what do I need to do and what do I need to inject into the story to make that work? And so I almost kind of live out the scenes for myself as I'm writing. Um, and then that, of course, is informed by research and other anecdotes, you know, that people have given me about their own relationships. And yeah, so it's, it's sometimes it's heavy when you're doing that kind it of is. writing because you really do have to take it on and, and feel it deeply so that it comes out on the page the way that you want. So you just finished your first nonfiction book. Yes. Uh, and so that comes out in December. And so what is this book about? Uh, this book is about, well, I am a writer who gets up at 5 a.m. to do all of my creative writing. And I've been doing that for years and years. All my books have been written that way. And so in part, this book is about the idea that, hey, if you want to try to reclaim some time in your life, we're all so busy. No one has time. It feels to do anything anymore. But we all probably have these aspirations and, you know, things like maybe writing a book or learning an instrument or learning a new language, things that we wish we could do that we don't have time for. And so the book is really about looking at your time and taking ownership back over your time so it's not owning you and finding those spaces where you can do that thing that you've always wanted to do but maybe haven't been able to find a place for it in your life. So I do use my own story about how I have written my novels and how I started getting up at 5 a.m. and why I think you should do it too and how you can do that, but also looking at other people and how they have, and in research around, you know, why the morning is a good time to do that and to find that time. So yeah, it's just that overall, it's a big ball of like, how can you better own your time so that it does not own you? Okay, excellent. So yeah. speaking of time, we all have lots of it on our hands right now. <laughs> uh, so if people want to find your books or more about you, where can they go? Um, I'm on Instagram a lot because it's a very happy place to be. I find these days everyone's making bread, it seems. <laughs> so I spend a lot of time looking through people's bread feeds. But um, I, my handle on both Instagram and Twitter is at Karma K Brown. And I am pretty active in both places and always happy to chat books and I share books that I'm reading um, recommendations and other writerly things so yeah I'm always happy to see people over there thank you so much karma thank you Still being picked on for being picky? Perfect. 
Meridian's good-to-grow high-interest savings account was made for you. At Meridian, we say be picky. Order that half-calf, half-sweet, no-foam latte with whip. Try on your whole closet until your outfit is outstanding. And accept nothing less than 3% interest for four months when you open your first good-to-grow high-interest savings account. Meridian, expecting more for your money. That's wealth esteem. Terms and conditions apply. There's always gonna be another mountain. I'm always gonna wanna make it move. Always gonna be an uphill battle. Sometimes I'm gonna have to lose. It ain't about how fast I get there. Ain't about what's waiting on the other side. Formerly a food media personality in Toronto, Teresa gave it all up for more independence, joy, peace, and sustainability in Stratford, Ontario. Now she actually does what she used to mostly just write or talk about, uh, grow her own food, create meals and memories for guests at Rosehurst Stratford. Her busy bed and breakfast, which started at number 81 on TripAdvisor, is already up to number 13, and she insists the secret ingredient is love. Welcome to the show, Teresa. Thank you so much. Uh, I'm so excited to have you here because I feel like a lot of women get to midlife or a certain point of their career and they decide they want to just change it all. Yep. Um, so let's talk about that. What was sort of the driving decision for this big change in your life? Um, yeah, our daughter, our daughter went off to university. Um, we decided to separate and I thought, you know what, like I was in media, which is, you know, of course not earning the way we once did not being paid for writing. Not be, so I thought I'm going to go back into the workforce. That's what I'm going to do. So I called my friend and we went over my resume. We went over my skills and he said, yep, here's your problem. You need, you know, your hundred thousand dollar a year job or your 60, 70, $80,000 a year job. And, uh, you're 50 and a 25 year old can do what you do for $25,000. It was a real eye opener that I took that 20 years out of the corporate workforce to, you know, build my own career, do my, create my own life. I was self-employed. I loved it. I loved raising my daughter, but it was an eye opener that I actually wasn't going to have uh, the financial independence that I wanted. Um, if I just went back into the workforce, you know, doing like going in house and doing communications or whatever it was like, there were a lot of people who could do what I do, even though, you know, I had this broadcast skill that is, you know, hard, like it's hard. It's a skill. Not everybody can do it. So that for me kind of went, all right, sit down. What are your skills? What do you bring with you? And where can you apply them for yourself? And then I went, yeah, also don't forget to layer in the joy and the love and the, you know, how to, how to calm down and be your best self. So, and where do you want to live for the rest of your life? Like, where did I want to retire? It wasn't Toronto. I wouldn't have been able to afford it. So I think, so, so there's two things there that you think women should do then. The, what, the first part is that sort of real hard assessment of financial uh, stability and sustainability. And then also really, a really hard look at your skill set. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's humbling. Let, let's not say humiliating. It's humbling to kind of go, what, you know, what am I qualified to do now? It can be really hard. 20 years out of the traditional workforce is a big chunk of time. And the, and the workforce did not stop for you. So all of the things that you've been teaching yourself to do may or may not be appropriate. 
So yeah, for sure. Um, and then you, how do you want to live the back half of your life? Right? Like what, what does it look like? But, and I think a lot of us have this, these stars in our eyes about, well, I'll buy my little, whatever, lavender shop or bed and breakfast or, but is that going to sustain you financially is a harder uh, snapshot. So let's talk about that because, you know, bed and breakfasts are often sort of held up as this uh, goal, this, this, you know, later in life thing that people want to do. But I imagine there's got to be a lot of hard work behind it. Oh, man, there's a lot of hard work. The first year, so Rosehurst has four bedrooms, um, which is a lot, like four bedrooms is actually a lot. So what you need to do, I mean, I did study hotel management. So I sat down and went, okay, what's the average rate? Um, what can I charge? What's it at now? What can I get it to? What's the, you know, what's the, how, what's the percentage? So, you know, those hard numbers. Um, and then I also knew that I had Mr. Fix-It skills. So, you know, there's certain things that I could do. I could tile the, the backsplash. I could, you know, switch a plug. I, like, these are things that I can and like to do. They're not things that you would have pictured me doing when I was on Food Network, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's like, okay, what, what can I do? Because for the first year I did it all myself. So I was making breakfast for eight people every single day from March, eh, probably more like April, by the end of April in full, um, to October when I would literally drop by three o'clock in the afternoon. So I'm growing all the food. I'm making um, uh, breakfast for eight every single day. And then I'm turning over the rooms. So I'm, and I'm doing all the laundry. Like it, it's like having a family of eight, like all the time. And I added the extra layer of, um, of growing the food because that gave me some peace and some, you know, quiet. And I like getting my hands dirty. One doesn't have to do that, but it is being on all the time. Right. You know, on either physically in that you're, you know, you're hostess with the mostest all the time. And that, that comes fairly naturally to me. But I'll tell you, by October, it's like, it is a fake smile. Yeah, you're probably digging pretty deep by then. <laughs> and I had to learn how to take care of myself. So my first step was, I need to find someone to help me clean. Because I don't love the cleaning. I'm pretty particular about how, how it ends up. So I needed that person. And it, so I, these are all business decisions with the skills um, that we have. And of course, now... I'm, you know, I'm looking at an empty bed and breakfast, perhaps until next spring. Right. No revenue. What does that look like? So I had to put on my business hat. Um, the lovely part about running a bed and breakfast is absolutely true. Financially, it's smart because I live in my investment. So for me, that's, you know, only kind of half the year I, I share my home and I have a private space with a kitchen for myself and a jacuzzi tub like that. Because your body hurts, like it's physical, physical labor. Um, so what you know, what does that look like? And yeah, you, you're hostess with the mostest. I'm a morning person, so that's good because I can chit chat and you know before. Perfect for a bed and breakfast. Totally. If you're not a morning person, don't do it because you've got to be up first and you know cheerful before anybody comes down for their coffee. So after we get all that out of the way, that yes, it's a lot of work. It truly is a lot of joy. I have met the most incredible, you know, order of Canada winning physics prof, scientific American writing people um, every day. Like I call it people Yahtzee. Every day I get up and I just kind of go, what do we got now? What, what are we going to talk about? We could mm -hmm. talk about the play, but we, you know, 
if it's going to be meaningful, we extend beyond that. Um, so I love that. It, similar to hosting, you know, a TV show or a radio show, or I love uh, being able to pull out those bits and pieces for people and create that memory. That part is so cool. And with the with this uh, pandemic now, I've had guests like uh, you know my first like I'm about fifty percent booked uh, for this year, and that means I have fifty percent of the money in my bank account to carry me through until I deliver the service. Like that had to get me through the winter. So when this happened, the financial uh, fear is, oh my God, everyone is entitled to their money back. That not like some of it's gone because I needed to keep the heat on over the winter and do the renos and buy the new sheets and do all those things over the winter. Um, and the rest of it will wipe me out. Like I can't make it to next spring. What does that look like? And I'll tell you, I've had guests call and say, no, 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 just keep it. Keep the money, keep the deposit. If we come this year, we'll use it. If we come next year, we'll use it. Just keep the cash. So, you know, that hasn't been everyone yet because we haven't killed the whole season. But these beautiful people that have spent their last three years of vacation with me have just, you know, given me this gift of faith, of trust that I will be here for them and I will make that happen for them again next year. That is the most beautiful honor. That's incredible. I love that. Yeah. So you say um, that when you make a switch like this be where you want to land yeah yeah it's really cool i think you have to forecast and sometimes when you're in midlife you don't know really what you want your life to be so you know a lot of that journaling and all that hokey stuff to figure out you know where you want to be i knew i didn't want to retire in toronto i knew i wanted to be in a smaller community um and i just started scouting where would that be i mean great it would be cool if it was in you know paris but not likely. So what kind of life did I want to create? And then give yourself 10 years to create that community. I've made young friends who will do my grocery shopping for me when I'm in my 80s because they're in their 30s and I'm helping them breastfeed. You know, like I've, I'm investing in the, in the human community here. You can't just show up and start to sort of take, you know, from and find a doctor and take from the community. You kind of have to be here and invest in it and, and, and build, because it's the people, it's the people that make the, the back half of. And that's really just wise advice, no matter where you are. It's yeah. to invest in the community you're in. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, to, and it's funny, because, um, you know, even showing up at town council, like, it, when I was living in Toronto, I didn't think I was a drop in the bucket. Like, what is my voice? Who cares what I have to say about whether or not my taxes raised or any of those issues or um, and now I actually go to town council and I sit in and I, you know, I've met the mayor and I've shaken his hand and I've, you know, if I placed a call, he would answer me. Right. So, you know, that's an investment in how I want to retire. What that, how am I contributing? What are my thoughts to shape? And in a small community, it was easier to do that, to shape, um, you know, some of, I want a, a, a food bank that feeds our community. Right. So how do I shape that? What, how can I invest? before I start needing to take it out. Thank you so much, Teresa. This is, uh, this is great. And um, so if people want to find you and they want to book with you uh, yeah. for next year, or hopefully, fingers crossed this year, uh, yeah. where do they go? The Facebook page is Rosehurst Stratford, and you can find me on Twitter at Teresa Albert, and that's Teresa with an H. Okay, wonderful. Thank you so much, Teresa. Thank you, Candice. Always gonna be an uphill
more with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. The Garden Basket in Markham has been serving the community since 1929. And with enhanced safety and cleaning procedures, they continue that tradition today, including reserving the first hour of each day for those with compromised immune systems. Fresh produce, meat, and fully stocked shelves, including hard-to-find items like yeast, are all available today at The Garden Basket. Find out more at thegardenbasket.ca. The Corned Beef House at 120 Whitmore Road in Vaughan is still open for curbside pickup and delivery. Yelp reviews describe their food as the best, excellent, and unforgettable. Even in these troubling times, their commitment to quality is unwavering. Open Monday to Saturday with delivery through Uber, Skip the Dishes, and DoorDash. We're all giving up a lot in these difficult times, but missing out on delicious deli does not have to be one of them. Go to cornedbeefhouse.com to see our full menu and to support local restaurants. Are you looking for something to do with the family that keeps you close to home? Crocodoodle in Unionville offers a kit that has something for everyone. Regardless of your artistic ability, your chance to express yourself with colors is here in this family fun care package, courtesy of Crocodoodle and 105.9 The Region. Now, one lucky follower will receive this easy-to-do and fun-to-complete activity care package valued at over 185 bucks. Hey, make us gifts for people you can't see or keep a treasure of family time. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, tag a friend, and you are eligible for delivery of a family fun care package from Crocodoodle. I just had to do that. Contest closes May 7th. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. Joining me now is Ann Brody, who has a treat for us today. Welcome, Ann. Hi. So we're going to play an interview you did this week with Rafe Spall and Esther Smith from Trying, which is a new show on Apple TV+. From the people who brought you Fleabag, it's tremendous. Great. Let's play that clip. You know, you're a couple of people who think you're doing everything wrong, when in fact, because you communicate so well... And honestly, I think you're doing everything right, you know, and it's a a weird disconnect that we have with you. And you really prove to be terrific people and potentially great parents. Yeah, I think so, too. And I mean, I mean, that's that's one of the things which is lovely about the the show to me was it's about people being good to each other. Uh, And I think a lot of the content that we consume now, which is very enjoyable for audiences, is people being mean and, and dastardly. But. Um, this is a show where there's no obvious antagonists. It's just about human beings trying to get by, by being kind and doing the right thing um, and wanting to, in their case, personify their love for each other in a child, which they're not, which they're not able to, to, to naturally do. Um, so they decide that they want to adopt, which then leads a further uh, intrusion into their relationship. It means that they've got to shine a light onto the, onto the nature of their relationship into the way that they interact with each other, uh, their achievements, how far they've got, blah, blah, blah. And that's difficult. It's difficult and trying, uh, excuse the pun, for, for, for any relationship. But they're good people. They love each other. And they're right for each other, you know, and I think that's a nice thing to, to watch. And I think I think you're right, Anna, in that they, they seem to forget, actually. They kind of have everything, all that they need within each other. And because they do communicate so well with each other, that they actually forget their, uh, 
yeah the the good things that they do have and I think it's something that they realize through the process of this is that all they kind of really need is each other Esther and Rafe um the chemistry between you is really outstanding and I'm wondering did you have a lot of rehearsal time or was it just something that was simp simply occurred um well we we had um a chemistry read that's the first time that we met each other uh, before or, yeah auditioning for the for, for the project and um we just really got on we just yeah we just uh, i think share a similar sense of humor and and then obviously spending more time with each other and getting to the harder scenes within the project yeah we'd already spent a few weeks together um which which was really helpful and really useful but yeah we we kind of got on from the i i think we got we got on from the off and, and we're both super sex we're both super sexy so that helps <laughs> it sure shows well how about that bus scene how early did you shoot that <laughs> I know that was quite early on, wasn't it? That was like two weeks in. About two weeks in, yeah. But you know, but by that point, we we were we were very uh, comfortable in each other's company. Um, and as Esther said, we did an audition with each other in order to test that we had that requisite chemistry. Because really, the whole show is based around it. Do you know what I mean? It, the, the, it, if, if that doesn't work, then the show is not really worth watching. Even though it. it what is it, the chemistry test? Where you just, where you, where you just, um, it sounds like something that would involve Bunsen burners, doesn't it? But it's, um, it's, uh, no, we just, um, audition with each other. It's a thing that you do a lot in, in this industry. They like two people for, for different parts and then they put them together and then you have this sort of rather icky artificial situation where you've got to seem like you can create this vibe with each other. Um, uh, and we've done them, both of us, a lot throughout our career. But what we did was, uh, we, um, we met before. We met three hours earlier. Oh. I hired I hired a room um, in, a, in, a, in an audition room in a place called Spotlight, where, where people audition in the UK. In fact, Esther still owes me for half that room, um, and uh, it's never been mentioned since. And um, uh, <laughs> and so we spent three hours going over the lines and getting to know each other and feeling relaxed. So by the time we came to actually audition with each other in front of the powers that be, we 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 had a, a good vibe worked out and. Uh, yeah, we really get on as people. Um, you know, I had as much fun, well, more, really. The, 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 my, my memories of doing this show is hanging out with Esther uh, and having a great time and the rest of the cast and crew. Um, because the more you do this, the more you're lucky enough to be a professional actor, the more you realize that really the hang is as important as anything. Okay, and that was amazing. I can't wait to see the show. It looks so good. Tell me what else is coming out this week that we absolutely can't miss. Hollywood on Netflix. It's incredible. There was a, a guy back in the day in the 40s in Hollywood who ran a gas station. Behind it, there was a bus where all the A-lister stars came for, you know what, <laughs> gas attendants, you know, would service them, yeah, so to speak. Anyway, it's a very glossed up, scrubbed up version, but it's there and it follows two young people a guy who's a script writer and an aspiring actor, and it shows what they go through in order to get their, their roles and their jobs. And all the big stars are in it. Rock Hudson, um, Cole Porter, Vivian Lee, George Cukor. It's incredible. It's really, it's quite naughty, <laughs> but it's fun to watch. And it's just so candy colored. It's beautiful to look at. Wonderful. And the other one we can't miss? Yes, you cannot miss Natalie Wood, What Remains Behind, which is on HBO and Crave. Natalie Wood was one of the biggest stars ever, but her death when she was 43 years old 
She drowned. She was out in a dinghy at night on water. She was terrified of dark water, and yet she was out there and she drowned. Uh, so that mystery has always been there. She was on the boat with her husband, R.J. Wagner, and Chris Walken, who was a friend. Rumors have swirled for decades and decades. Her daughter tends to put it to rest here, but it's also a brilliant look at this major star that we've kind of forgotten about. Yeah, it looks really, really good. So for yeah. all of these and more, people can go to whatshesaidtalk.com uh, to read uh, what they can't miss this week. Thank you so much, Anne. You're more than welcome, Candace. Still being picked on for being picky? Perfect. Meridian's good-to-grow high-interest savings account was made for you. At Meridian, we say be picky. Order that half-calf, half-sweet, no-foam latte with whip. <sighs> Try on your whole closet until your outfit is outstanding. And accept nothing less than 3% interest for four months when you open your first good-to-grow high-interest savings account. Meridian, expecting more for your money. That's wealth esteem. Terms and conditions apply. Seem to go that you don't know what you've got till it's gone. They pay paradise, put up a parking lot. We've all seen the images of crystal clear canals in Venice and the Himalayas visible for the first time in 30 years due to pollution reduction, and of course, of wildlife making themselves at home in urban areas. And it's easy to think that this pandemic might be giving Mother Nature a well deserved break. Uh, joining me now is Dr. Anastasia Lintner, a passionate public interest environmental advocate. Welcome to the show, Anastasia. Thank you for having me, Candace. Let's give the audience a little bit of background. Why are you sort of uniquely positioned to um, comment on sort of the environment? The way that I earn my living is as an environmental lawyer. Before I became an environmental lawyer, I was an academic. I did a PhD in natural resource and environmental economics. And my work is in, involved in how environmental law and policy is um, serving the needs of our communities and um, seeing how governments are kept to account for ensuring that we have a resilient system. What are, you, what are your thoughts right now? What I see right now is that the pause that we have is having temporary changes on our natural environment at an extraordinary cost. The COVID crisis, the, the public health tensions, the people that are ill and dying, we see these temporary changes at a massive cost. And where I'm looking is, are there opportunities to take what we're learning right now as we transition out of this acute emergency situation into what our future economy is going to look like. We see in real time how when we reduce consumption, we reduce travel and reduce um, our activities and don't move around very much, then we see the things like you're mentioning, that there's cleaner water, that um, we notice air quality changes, we notice the natural world coming into our urban centers, uh, there's definitely foxes at the waterfront here in Kingston. Um, so we can see these things in real time. And then will we take what we can see now, the challenges we see now, and, and 
use them as we recover. Yeah, it's hard to imagine any other way that the world would have rallied behind the environment by taking planes out of the skies and stopping cars. So we are seeing this sort of mass experiment uh, happening before our very eyes and the benefits, obviously, of doing that. The reality is, though, we're not going to keep doing this. We aren't going to keep doing it. And even as we're doing it, um, it's not all great news for, for Mother Earth, for our ecosystems, because as we respond to the crisis, we're noticing some of the challenges of, for example, um, we're weakening some of our environmental laws. And I think probably for um, folks listening in, the, the way you can see that most closely is in your own activities. In my community, there's been a relaxing of the number of garbage bags you can put out every week for protection, public health protection, but it's a, it's a response that's changing an environmental law in the current context. Um, we can't bring our reusable bags to our grocery stores. We can't use our reusable mugs if we're going to um, pick up coffee outside of the house. So these, these sorts of changes we can see every day. We see bigger, broader, less environmental monitoring and enforcement. I just hope that we continue to make sure that we are, are relaxing those changes, but only as much as we need to. And that as we recover, we take some of the things we're learning and um, and figure out ways to be more resilient. So we know it's important for people to get out in nature, to walk the trails. It's for, good for our mental health. It's good for our physical health. It's important right now in this time of physical distancing and isolation that people be able to get out and walk their trails. In our big communities, you can't because they'd be too crowded. What does that suggest to me and some of the people I work with? It suggests that Maybe as we recover, we can invest in more green spaces and more trails so that if we ever came up against this again, we'd be better prepared. Right. And so you also say that there are some extra challenges for vulnerable and low-income people right now um, because of this as well. So how, explain that. So in terms of the crisis itself, the things that we're asking people to do, physical distancing, stock up on food and medications, um, move to remote, work from, from remote like you and I are, uh, those things are easily done for some people. But for many, it's cha very challenging. Washing your hand a lot, washing your hands frequently when you don't have access to clean, safe water. Um, if you can't transition, if you have a, it tends to be that our low-paid jobs, you can't transition to remote work. These sorts of things disproportionately affect um, low-income individuals. And our vulnerability, we also see in the environmental uh, community that there's disproportionate impacts of uh, pollution, unsafe water in low-income vulnerable communities. So there's those parallels. So I think um, you, you've raised some really good points here because, you know, we were all sort of, not all of us, but many of us were sort of environmental activists before this, this happened. And we've, we've let that go. But... I think what you're saying, if I'm, if I'm interpreting this correctly, is now is not probably not the time to stop being an environmental activist. It's actually probably more important now before we flick that switch to address these issues uh, with our government. And I, I agree with you that there is going to be continued opportunity for all of us to tell our elected officials where we want spending to go in the future. There's a poll that suggests the majority of people in Canada see the parallels between this crisis and the climate crisis. They want to see 
um, investments in addressing the climate crisis coming out of this crisis. So if that's where people's beliefs are, then how do we uh, make sure that our politicians, our elected officials know that as well? Thank you so much for joining me today. This was a really great discussion. Um, if people want to know more about you and get in touch with you, where can they find you? Um, probably the easiest way to find me is email me at Anastasia, A-N-A-S-T-A-S-I-A, at LintnerLaw.com, dot C-A, sorry. <laughs> Anastasia at LintnerLaw.ca. Okay, wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me today, Anastasia. Stick around. More What She Said with Candace Sampson coming up on 105.9 The Region. Known since 2010 on social media as Sober Julie and as the founder of the popular blog Life Straight Up, Julie is one of the early sober influencers. She's known for her no-nonsense, straight-up style of connecting with people to help them see the possibility that a life in recovery offers. Julie strives to break the stigma of addiction and show that anything is possible. Welcome to the show, Julie. Hey, thanks so much for having me. You know, numbing out, I think a lot of people, I, I watch my, my social media feed a lot, um, and, and that seems to be what a lot of people are doing, and not just with alcohol. Well, it's a natural instinct. We as humans are completely bred to self-protect. And when emotions become overwhelming, which I'm sorry, but quarantine is driving all of us crazy, it's, it's a true fear-based state that we're in right now with the unknown. And what we do in this situation can help us or harm us. And unfortunately, with numbing, numbing will never, ever help any situation. Because if you're numbing, spending too much, if you're numbing, spending too much time online, you're avoiding your family, you're drinking, you're using, you're eating too much sugar, you're, you know, so many things that we're perpetuating these behaviors. And ultimately, we end up feeling shame. And shame will never serve us in any circumstance. You know, it's interesting because it's, it is anything that you overindulge in, correct? 100%. And I'm guilty. Listen, um, first three weeks of quarantine, I work from home. I own a marketing company. So I'm a, I work out of the home. But suddenly everybody was in my space and they were in my routine. And I, okay, so I'm trying to find things to do with the teenagers. We start baking, which is fine. But I was baking multiple things multiple times a day, and I was eating all of the baking. And it hit me that as I was taking a bite of a cookie, I was thinking, how many more cookies are there and how many more can I have? While I'm in the midst of enjoying one cookie, I'm thinking about the future cookies. And that is, you know, I had to take control. So I think then what you're saying is the first thing we need to establish is some self-awareness around what we're reaching for and what we're using. I'm also a recovery coach. And the one thing that we always try to identify is internal thoughts about something and internal relationship with the behavior. Okay. So until we're aware of it, we can't change it. Right now, uh, anybody who uh, is, is struggling with addiction, uh, specific addictions like alcohol and drugs, they're unable to obviously get to places where they can be with other people. So how are they finding the support they need right now during this pandemic? As the internet has grown, 
possibilities have grown for resources on the internet. So as far as 12-step meetings, it was shocking to our entire 12-step communities and all the different 12-step programs to have the doors closed. It was unimaginable because people in new recovery, one, of, one huge strength is connection with others who are walking the same journey. So what happened is meetings began appearing online. And so no matter where you are in the world, if you look up on the main 12-step website, they have listings by area of Zoom meetings and they're on BlueJean and they're on all sorts of different platforms. But these individual groups have shifted and they're presenting their meetings online. As a recovery coach, and I imagine you are a sponsor to people, what's the biggest struggle you see right now? It's absolutely isolation, not being able to naturally connect with others. It's also fear of the unknown. So when we are panicked, we want to change that feeling. And if you're a person who's relied on a substance or behavior, you're immediately going to turn to that. So the base natural instinct of a pattern that you've ingrained by years of using whatever the behavior is, kicks in. I'm 10 years into recovery and I'm now doing a meeting at least every day just to be sure that my health is well as far as my addictions. Listen, I wanna preface this by saying you don't have to be a full-blown addict of anything to stop your behaviors if they're getting into a gray area. So what I would say to you is, for example, um, if you type in sober curious hashtag on Instagram, the shares are huge. The fall, you know, there's a many, many programs. If a 12-step program isn't for you, there are a million programs out there for, um, you know, if you look on dry January hashtag, for example, you'll see lots of programs that ran in January that are still active. There's lots of chat groups. The topics out here and the availability of information and support we have is huge. It's a matter of willing to be vulnerable. Right. And vulnerability doesn't mean you need to, A, like go on a radio show like this, for example, or oh, not you know, all. go on video and broadcast it everywhere. It means just, you know, bearing your soul to somebody you trust. I get a lot of people coming to me and I love it when they do. People are vulnerable and I'll get messages and emails just saying, I think I might have a problem. And I tell them, you don't have to get deeply into how many drinks you've had, all those things. Talk to me about the emotion. Talk to me about how you feel about it, because that's more important. The unhealthy behaviors are not necessarily done to excess with some people. It's just that they hate relying on it. Or maybe they, maybe they don't even hate it, but they're like, dude, I don't think this is good for me. I like it way too much. So if people want to connect with you, then uh, where can they find you? I'm Sober Julie on every platform. Reach out. I'm SoberJulie at gmail.com. I'm available. I mean, frankly, I'll be honest with you, and I'm pretty straight up, and I welcome everybody to contact me, you know, even if you just want to vent, even if you, I will always respond. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining me today, Julie. I'm sure this is going to be wildly helpful to a lot of people right now listening at home. I appreciate you very much. And I think that what you're doing is awesome because we are in our marketing culture, just selling, selling, and people are getting mistaken with the fact that um, just because a marketing company tells you alcohol is going to relieve your mommy stress, we're getting mixed up in that messaging. So I appreciate what you're doing. You're bringing truth forward. Thanks for this today. That's what she said for this week. Be sure to follow me on What She Said Talk on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for videos of these interviews and more. You can also subscribe to What She Said with Candace Sampson on Apple and Spotify for extended interviews and complete shows. I'll be back next week with our Mother's Day show. 
Until then, stay safe and stay home. Previous episodes of What She Said on 1059theregion.com.